0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, As many of you probably know by now, uh, I like to talk. Uh, This is something that if you don't know, you haven't had a conversation with me before. Uh, And it's also something that my high school and my middle school teachers learned very quickly about me once I sat in their class. Uh, And interestingly, you know, when you're in high school and middle school, you get progress reports and report cards. Everything gets sent home. Uh, And so my teachers would be able to add comments to, you know, whatever my grades or whatever reports they were sending. Uh, And so I would always get the mail first, and I would kind of know, okay, I know when it's coming. I want to read it. And I would look, and especially towards the later end in high school, every single time, comment 038, too talkative in class. Uh, I I mean, this came so frequently, I knew, I was just looking for the number. I was like, all right, it's going to be in one of these classes. And so uh, I would find it and look and be like, all right, well, we'll see how this goes. So, you know, put it back, uh, wait for my dad to get home and finally open the mail. And he starts looking at everything, pulls out the report, looks, oh, this is good. This is good. This is good. Wait a minute. Too talkative? What are you doing? Talking in class, church. Every time he said that, I was like, whoa, what? Too talkative? Me? No, no way. Come on. That's not me. I don't even understand. I don't know why my teacher's thinking that. And I had one of those dads who would like call the teacher. So eventually he and I would have to hash this out. Uh, And every time it basically ended up with me saying something along the lines of, well, everyone was talking and I just got heard because, you know, I'm loud, but I blame you and mom for that. So it's not really my fault, it's your fault. Uh, And this is how the conversation would transpire. And I maintained my innocence. Now, uh, I share this with you this morning because as we enter into the second week of our Lenten series and we talk about cleaning up the mess, I realize that God has given me a unique ability with what I would like to call my gift of being too talkative uh, and sometimes finding an opportunity to clean up the mess. Uh, Clean up the mess in my life, but especially also in the lives of others. Uh, And this was unique because it kind of came out as I got older and began to talk with my friends. And, you know, conversations in school were sometimes simple things, things like uh, what's going on in the world, uh, what's going on with sports, uh, you know, who's the most popular kid in school. Uh, And then, of course, as time went on, the conversations would develop a little bit more. Uh, and they would get a little bit deeper, and all of a sudden we were talking about uh, maybe some troubles that they were having with their parents at home or with other friends in school or just different relationships in their lives. And I began to see that my friends were coming to me, and it, I realized it one morning that what's actually happening is that I brought something different to the conversation, something that not a lot of other people were bringing, my faith. Uh, And see, uh, bringing my faith to the conversation allowed me to speak peace into the lives of my friends in a very unique and present way, a way, in fact, that only Jesus can do. And I'm sure many of you have had this same experience, these opportunities in which you have been people who speak peace into the lives of others. And in fact, uh, that's what comes out of our text this morning it's why our text is one of those familiar texts, and yet uh, we learn something new every time we read it. See, because in our text this morning, we see a man named Nicodemus coming to Jesus. And, well, Nicodemus was probably the last person that you would expect to have a conversation with Jesus. See, Nicodemus was not any old uh, man off the street just walking by. Nicodemus was a well-known, very highly respected man in the community. Uh, And, in fact, it was a very particular community that knew him so well. Uh, The Bible tells us that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were known as the religious elite back in the day. And not only that, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Pharisees. So he was on what's called the Sanhedrin, or the Great High Council. So Nicodemus, a member of the Great High Council, what is he doing going to see Jesus? Uh, This was the question that I wrestled with this morning, and I realized that it's actually explained to us. In verse 2 of our reading, uh, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Now, as Nicodemus begins this conversation with Jesus, we begin to understand a little bit more about Nicodemus. We learn that he's clearly an intelligent man, and even one who holds Jesus in high regard, because he addresses him as rabbi. Rabbi was a term that would have only been saved for a teacher back in the day, like Nicodemus himself, and yet here he is identifying Jesus as a teacher. But then, of course, Nicodemus shifts his focus and he begins to talk about the things or the signs that Jesus is doing. And this, in fact, makes sense for a Pharisee. See, the Pharisees were known for wanting to see signs. Uh, All throughout Scripture, whether it's Jesus or one of the other apostles, especially the Apostle Paul, uh, we all learn about how the Pharisees were the people who wanted signs from Jesus. And even sometimes when they saw these signs, uh, they always wanted one more. Jesus could do a miracle and they wanted something else. They wanted to see just one more sign. So it's unique uh, that Nicodemus makes this move, but he does it in a different way. See, because when Nicodemus addresses the signs that Jesus is doing, it's actually more of a confession. He's not asking so much for another sign from Jesus as he is confessing that someone who does what Jesus does, in his own words, as Nicodemus put it, no one can do these things apart from the presence of God himself. And yet, uh, you have to imagine that Nicodemus is making this confession and also worried about the potential consequences of what this might mean. And so uh, what's even more unique about this meeting is when Nicodemus comes. We learn in verse 1 that Nicodemus goes to see Jesus at night. And he goes to see him at night because then no one else, none of his counterparts, no one else on the high council, no one else in the community, the people that he taught would be able to see him. Because why would someone of the Jewish high council be going to see Jesus and learning from him? In fact, he should be condemning him. That's what the Pharisees did back in the day. And so Nicodemus, he's got this this mess. He creates this messy situation and he does, of course, the only thing that he could possibly think to do. He takes it to Jesus. Jesus. Now, Jesus' perspective is rather interesting here because typically the stories that we hear is Jesus goes out into the world. He goes out and touches the lives of other people. He seeks, literally seeking the lost. But in this case, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and brings his mess right before him. Now, this is one of those interesting stories in Scripture that we can relate to both people in the story, both characters that are present. Uh, See, because on the one hand, We've certainly all been like Nicodemus. Uh, we've all had our fair share of spiritual problems, of all different kinds of messiness in our lives. And as we talked about last week, a lot of the times it's messes that we make. And we end up playing some sort of blame game or explaining things. Ultimately, it takes our realization that it's Jesus who comes in and cleans up every mess that we make. Now at the same time, uh, we also can understand the perspective of Jesus. Jesus. Uh, Because I'm sure that we've all had the moment when someone comes to us with their own mess. They want some help. They perhaps even want us to fix it. And the interesting thing is the messes come on all kinds of scales. Uh, The messes are not all the same. And, uh, you know, of course, we've got the easy messes. Some of them are simple. Uh, Like when a kid comes to you and tells you that he spilled his milk and he needs you to clean it for him. Or uh, when a kid breaks his toy and he comes to you expecting you to fix it. These are, of course, uh, fixable, easy messes. But uh, as life would go on to show us, that's not how every mess presents itself. Uh, And that ultimately, at the heart of our messiness is the reality of a sinful and a broken world. And so, as we get older, the messes get a little more serious, they get a little deeper. Uh, Perhaps a mess that may have addressed you before is uh, like when your best friend comes to you and tells you that his mother is suffering from cancer. Or uh, when your cousin calls you and you think everything's okay and then he tells you that your favorite aunt and uncle are actually in the midst of a divorce. Uh, The messiness in our lives, these moments are moments that are sometimes so hard to find the words to say. We often sit silent wondering, what could we possibly say? How could we speak into this moment? And I think this is where Jesus' actions today allow us to see perhaps what we can do. So, Because when Nicodemus shows up at Jesus' door that night, the first thing that Jesus does is he invites him in. And then he begins to talk to Nicodemus, to ask Nicodemus, what's going on? Jesus takes Nicodemus's mess and makes it his mess. He absorbs what's going on in Nicodemus' life and makes it part of his own situation now, part of his own mess. And as our conversation goes on, uh, Jesus is not just addressing Nicodemus' outward actions, but he's addressing something deeper, a uh, deeper, perhaps you might even say a spiritual mess in Nicodemus' life. It's because for so long, Nicodemus has been one who proclaims the law. That you must follow the law, you must live by the law, that it's only the law that will get you to the Father. And this has been part of his belief, it's part of what he's been teaching. It's so ingrained that it's hard for him not to think about things that way. And yet as he has seen the signs and wonders that Jesus does, he comes and brings this mess before Jesus. And in that spiritual mess, Jesus steps right into it, and he does two very unique things for Nicodemus. See, the first thing that he does is he calls out Nicodemus for these false beliefs, that indeed it is not the law that gets you to the Father, but it is only through the Son of God. And then, of course, uh, the second thing that he does is that he continues on in this gospel proclamation, and he gives Nicodemus a new perspective on life. A perspective, you might say, a a perspective of peace. It's because Nicodemus is wondering what's going on, filled with perhaps angst and anxiety. And in this moment, Jesus speaks words of comfort. Words of peace, a proclamation that we have all heard and know so well. John 3.16, when Jesus speaks into the life of Nicodemus and he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. This indeed is one of the sweetest proclamations of the gospel that Jesus speaks in the Bible. Because these are words of eternal life. These are words of promise and peace that Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in this moment. And they change everything that Nicodemus once believed. That now he has received this new life in Jesus. And this promise is the good news of the gospel. And this promise is true for Nicodemus as it is true for me and for you. That God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son into the world, that whoever believes in him has eternal life. These are words of comfort. And peace, because in these words we hear the promises of Jesus, promises of eternal life, promises of peace with Jesus forever. And it reminds us of all the other promises that Jesus speaks to us throughout Scripture: promises of renewal by the water and the Holy Spirit in baptism, promises of Forgiveness and grace as we receive holy communion in the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Promises of eternal life and salvation that come through the Son of God. And promises of peace. A peace that the world cannot give. A peace that surpasses our own understanding. And eternal life with Jesus is the ultimate gift of Peace. So perhaps when someone comes to you with some sort of mess in their life, you are now one who can speak peace into their life. You are a bringer of the gospel, uh, as a book that I read in seminary would call it. You are people of peace. And see, uh, the thing about being a person of peace is that you are one who knows the gospel, who knows what Jesus has done for you, that you have eternal life and eternal peace with him. But at the same time, you are open to the messiness of other people's lives. You are open to whatever someone might say to you. You are willing to listen and be present. You're willing to be like Jesus. You're willing to get involved in other people's lives, not knowing what they're going to say to you, not knowing what mess they're going to bring to you. It may be something simple. It may be something like a spiritual mess you've never experienced before. And yet, you are invited into that moment the same way Nicodemus invites Jesus. And although you may not have the right words to say in that moment, know that this is an opportunity for you to be one who brings the message of peace, the message of joy that there is eternal life with Jesus. And you just never know when the mess you find just needs a little bit of peace. And what better way to proclaim peace than perhaps to share the most peaceful proclamation the world has ever heard. That God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. This eternal life is our promise from Jesus. And we cling to that promise as together we are people of peace to a world in need. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite the congregation to stand as we confess our faith together.